I wrote a suicide note once that said, I'm not mad at anyone. This is just something I wanted to do for myself. It's not funny, is it? It's too close to the truth. Yeah. yeah. So being completely honest, the shock of Robin Williams committing suicide, were you completely surprised? The news broadcasters were on TV saying, why would Robin Williams want to kill himself? He just finished doing a TV series. He's got two movies in the can, and he's scheduled to shoot another one. Why would you kill yourself? And I, I, don't know, I was sitting there with somebody, and I said, she just gave the reason. <laughs> So, Ed, here's the thing. Uh, Prince is dead, obviously. Yeah. It's all over the news, and everybody knows about it. And I love him. I think he was definitely a, a pure natural and a genius in, in music. Absolutely. And um, you know what? I, I guess it brought me to thinking about uh, Robin Williams' death, and my mind started relating the two. Um, and I guess what I'm thinking is Prince, when he died, um, it was all over CNN. And if you had watched CNN just prior to that, the day before, uh, nonstop 24 hours, it was Trump, Clinton, Sanders, Trump, Clinton, Trump, Trump, you know. Yep. But those two days straight on CNN and even overnight, this was 24-hour coverage for two, three days straight, was everything Prince. And Prince was on, I mean, it was on several channels, the, the music channels, uh, whether it was MTV or Much Music here, was just Prince marathons. Yeah, you uh, could not that, escape it. Yeah, that Saturday, there was no scheduled, they just completely changed the Saturday Night Live format, and it was the whole show was hour and a half worth of uh, Prince's um, performances on Saturday Night Live and his appearances and um, when Robin Williams died, uh, it was a breaking news piece. Mm -hmm. uh, and it seemed to me by an hour later, it was done. There, there was certainly no, not the same kind of coverage from Robin Williams' death as there was for Prince. Yeah, and I thought we would sort of discuss that uh, in the sense that Robin Williams was just as much, if not more, prolific in comedy, in music, uh, in his talent, as Prince was to music. Right. And um, was it possibly because Prince, this whole mystique, he was very mysterious and shy and quiet and reclusive, mm -hmm. um, that were, and there's no COD yet, so is it were just, everyone just needs to know what happened maybe to humanize him or something. But on the other hand, with Robin Williams, it was a suicide. It was, the cause was depression, more specifically treatment resistant. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's where, there was more issues, but that was what the main underlying issue has been for years. Um, and why there was, there's that difference uh, where this icon you know, there's very few people you can call an icon. Yeah. Um, why was there so much more focus on him than Robin Williams? So do you think it has 
to do with the the method of death? Like if Robin Williams had actually died of a heart attack or something like that, would there have been more coverage? Uh, do you think it's it's because it was depression? Um, do you think they shied away from from that more? The media. It's you know it's very possible. I mean, it could be a lot of things. Either people being able to relate to it. Could it be that because of the cause of death, people were let down? People mm-hmm. were sort of felt, you know, how could you do that to me? Uh, at least I did. Yeah. You know, uh, so it's much different for me because I spent decades hidden away from the world right. and self-medicating while watching movies over and over and over. And Robin Williams, to me, I mean, everything he did, uh, I loved every movie he ever made. Right. So I've seen, I mean, it sounds crazy, but it's true. I've seen Mrs. Doubtfire and Aladdin, um, Awakenings, everything. One hour of photo, I've seen them each, uh, could be a hundred times. Wow. Uh, and I had no socialization. My family had a disconnect going on because of the disease and the peril it causes families. So my family were the people on TV. Right. And I sort of adopted Robin Williams was probably Papa, you know, and it killed me. It, it, I felt more, uh, I'm semi-ashamed to say I felt much more distraught when he died than my father died and my father was killed. Wow. So that's telling. Yeah. And uh, I, since even till today, I can't look at his face. I mean, uh, I can't look at anything that's on. And I'm dying to watch the movies, but I can't because it's all him. So you just, so, fe- you'll feel the pain again if you, if you see him, if you watch his movies. I'm just not ready. Yeah. You're not ready. It's, yeah. Now, now, what about Prince? Can you listen to Prince? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like terrible that he died. And uh, yes, um, my curiosity, I'm interested to find out, is there any kind of uh, uh, issues that were kept hidden, any foul mm-hmm. play, whatever, right. what have you. But um, but it's, uh, but it's no, I can, I can listen to it. Uh, the, the songs that I did like, I mean, I loved. But really, I think I, I if I voluntarily listened for listening's sake, um, I probably only really generally enjoy um, maybe 20% of the songs. You know, there's a mm-hmm. lot of them that I listen to probably every one and know, okay, this guy's talented, no doubt. Right. But there's some that just kind of, it just doesn't hit the button for me. Sure. Uh, but with Robin Williams, I can't think of any movie that was just kind of like, eh, you know, it's pretty much James, uh, Jim Carrey. Uh, Everyone is just great. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, it just, everyone was great. And clearly his performance is nobody else could have done it the same. And it was yeah. better than, than, you know. As far as the, the media coverage between the two is concerned, you have to take in consi- into consideration the fact that one of them's a musician and one of them's a comedian. Um, yeah. You know, with, with Prince... He made a lot of music that really touched people's souls, uh, and people feel that very deeply. And you know, when he passed, everyone wants to express how much that hurt them because 
his music meant so much to them. With Robin Williams, I would have to think that, you know, as a comedian, as an actor, yes, he's probably, you know, he's just as prolific. He's done a lot of movies and very successful. But how deep does that get for, you know, do, do people really feel it as deeply as with music? Uh, and, and that might be, that might show part of the difference between the media coverage. Uh, because I, you know, what I saw with all the, the tribute, the Prince tributes and, and everything was real emotion from, from the media, from the people doing the stories. Uh, some of them were, you know, on the brink of tears when talking about it, uh, with, with Prince. And, and they interviewed Stevie Wonder, and he was not on the brink at all. He was, he barely, basically, he could barely get through the interview. Yeah, yeah, and, and so I, I have to think that um, you know there's there is a difference between how people see and how the media portrays um, musicians uh, versus comedians. Uh, yet I think, at, like we talked in previous shows, uh, comedians. You know, they they tend to have, uh, it seems like they tend to have uh, more mental health issues than than a lot of other performers. So you're saying maybe it contributed to people, you know, uh, thinking, okay, well, he was a comedian. I mean, they're sort of maybe a little more subconsciously prepared for that in his case versus Prince. How could he, being this, he's, when he's singing, I mean, he's just, He's doing that James Brown splits thing, and he's just like, how could, how could that be nothing but powerful, and how could he die? Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know that people picked up on you know Robin Williams being you know uh, having mental health issues, and that they they felt it that way. I think I think it's just mainly the difference between uh, how deep someone gets into music versus how deep someone gets into comedy. Um, and, and acting and stuff like that. And I, I, and I think music can affect people in a deeper way, uh, in general, of course, uh, obviously well, based on what we just, yeah. I mean, what I just said before, when we talked about it for me, I think in general, you're right. And for the mm -hmm. general populace, that's right. But for me, it was a different situation. And that's why I wanted to talk to you about it to get more of an unbiased opinion on the sort of the dichotomy there right now yeah. now to be honest you know i liked prince uh he was definitely not um you know someone that uh is in my top list of of uh musicians that i really like um but i can totally see if if i substitute him for you know one of the uh one of my musical icons uh then I can totally see how that would hit me hard, uh, much harder than any of the, you know, actors or comedians that I, I like, uh, because the music speaks to me, uh, you know, as a musician, as someone who really enjoys music, uh, music gives, you know, emits emotions. It makes you think about certain things. It reminds you of certain things, you know, the first time you heard a song or whatever, uh, and it's it's just a much deeper connection to me than you know my favorite movies or my favorite comedy acts or, or something like that. Um, yeah. So I think that that probably is part of the the reason that uh, there's a difference in media coverage. So even if you take 
let's say you just take emotion completely out of it. We're just talking about the two guys. Uh, I think both of them, whether you like the movies or the songs or not, I think anyone would say, or the majority would say that, well, we know that he's got something, you know, like he's got, he's a natural, right? whether you like it or not. And that's not, uh, you know, that's a rare case. Mm-hmm. So, um, who knows? It could be a, a variety of different reasons. I, obviously, we're going to do uh, one of the shows coming up just all about music therapy and music and uh, how uh, it's so incredibly therapeutic, so underrated for therapy. Um, although now it's with, with the awareness more out there on mental health issues, there's, uh, there are much more focused now on uh, uh, alternate therapies like music therapy, art therapy, and there's even a music therapy association. And yeah. so, uh, um, so yeah, I mean, music. I mean, music therapists will say this to you. I mean, we're all uh, the way we breathe, the way our heart rate is. It's all in rhythm, you know, and mm-hmm. that's where it all begins. So it's natural for us. The comedy part, I guess, it's you know, if you're having a bad day, it'll make you laugh, make you feel better. But it, it's more than that to me, and right. it's more than that really in a science perspective because laughter, as music does, creates natural endorphins, yeah. uh, which are uh, you know, more happy pills that the brain creates. So um, I don't know. I, I see them closer than I guess others do because that's Well, like you said, big yeah, you, you – looked to Robin Williams and, and other comedians, of course, uh, as your family, as your escape, uh, as a way to, to feel better, to laugh when you didn't have anything you felt you wanted to laugh about this, you know, watching these movies would, would put you in a better, better mood. It would make you laugh. So I, I can absolutely see how it affected you more than it might other people. To me, Robin Williams was so incredibly engaging. I'm not even talking just his work, but in interviews, uh, mm-hmm. because he was always in character. Yeah. Like, because he couldn't be himself. The very few times you saw him being himself, and I'm talking, it might be a window of about 10 seconds, uh, but you could see his, even in his facial expression, it was just like, you know, mm-hmm. um, so he was always in character, and he was always had the mask on, as I do when I go in public when I'm depressed or when I you got to put a mask on, and everyone, right. oh you look great, but they don't. It's again the invisible disease syndrome. Yeah. Uh, but he was so engaging, and so you just can't help but watch the guy mm-hmm. riff and go on. I mean, he just he was he was stimulation. <laughs> if you look up stimulation in the dictionary, there he is. Yeah. You know, and um, so you were so engaged that you didn't think about the periphery. You didn't think about uh, what he was like, his personal life, this and that. And um, I think the same goes for Prince. He created this whole mystique where, like, and he had so, it was so prolific with music that there was just no time to think of anything more than just absorbing yourself into that performance. Right. So it's, uh, I don't know. I'm still, though, intrigued as to why Robin Williams' story. I mean, so many different things to talk about. I mean, this is a guy, I mean, 
I think Robin Williams' death, to me at least, but Prince obviously, uh, a guy like that who people, I guess, put up so high that he's like almost not human, you know. But it, a death like Prince's really shows us just how mortal we are. Yeah, you know. And when they first started, uh, when they first broke out that it, um, Prince had died. Um, they started basically their full-time coverage. Uh, and I remember listening uh, to what they said at the beginning, like, we're, it's not about why he died. We don't care about that. We just want to celebrate his music. And, and they did do that. Yeah. But you know what? Starting day two, all of a sudden, it, they started it going with, uh, you know, cause still unknown and the autopsy. And, uh, and they even said... Uh, there's no reason to consider suicide at this time. That just came out of nowhere. It's like, well, hmm. who the hell is talking about that? But because it was a death and we don't know the reason, boom, sensationalism begins and now no thought of suicide, even though that's what they wanted to plant into people's heads. Well, right. You know, as soon as that's part of the headline, even if it's saying, oh, the, it's not suicide, it puts that in people's heads and it's a sensationalized headline and it gets more readers, gets more viewers. Yeah. It's the media. Right. So we have to, you know, everyone out there has to, you know, divide uh, sensationalism from, you know, uh, what we believe in, what we do, and we think about Prince. Right. Because obviously the news is going to uh, focus on those types of issues that for some reason people are captivated by and forget about, okay, who this guy was. Yeah. So it, it did, it did really bothered me how much coverage there was I, I mean it was warranted sure but on robin williams side i believe it was just as warranted forget about the the connection the special connection i have with him uh but think about robin williams talk about being prolific mm-hmm. i mean this guy was a great stand-up but forget about great an amazing stand-up like a wildly different uh, once in a lifetime stand-up totally but then unique. yeah then he has Mork and Mindy. Now that in our era was a staple show. Mm-hmm. Uh, forget okay, forget all that. Throw all that away, and you got not only comedies, but all the comedies were huge comedies. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't even have to be on it. You just have to hear him, Aladdin. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he goes in into the dramatic field, and the crossover is. You know, you don't normally see that where people can cross over and make something just as powerful where he, for instance, with one hour photo, um, I believe also the the movie with Al Pacino where he went to Alaska and he played the Robin Williams played a serial killer. Oh, yeah. Uh, I can't remember the name now. It shows that we're not prepared for that. But, (laughs) you know, and he was a serial killer. Yeah. And, And he built up. You know, that face is like the face of comedy, yet you look at him and he didn't really have any, he didn't have any prosthetics, he didn't have any, it was just him. But yeah. you, as soon as he started talking, he was a serial killer. Whatever he wanted to do, he could do. Well, Awakenings is another great example because that's... Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, it was one of the best, uh, you know, one of my favorite movies. And and completely not, he, he was not a funny guy. No. He was a completely, uh, you know... Uh, self-conscious uh withdrawn oliver Sacks. yeah you know um and uh yeah that was brilliant so let me ask you this did did you know 
that Robin Williams had any sort of uh, mental health issues before all this happened? I, well, I don't know whether it was known or not. It, uh, you know, I had a lot of time on my hands. I've had a lot of time on my hands. <laughs> so uh, instinctively in me, um, unfortunately in that field and you get to that level and knowing that I never saw the true him, I always wanted to see that. Mm -hmm. So inherently with with being having studied psychology and then basically learning psychology in all of its forms for all these years yeah i had a feeling you know there's got to be something you know nobody's yeah. that perfect so there's obviously uh, and usually it's something um that's very serious underlying so i suspected that if you asked me would he be a guy who would be depressed in his personal life or not it weighed heavily on that yeah. But as far as hearing about it, no, it was never, ever brought up. Yeah, I didn't think so. I didn't think it was common knowledge uh, no, in, to, no. until his death. No, he never. He kept everything very private. I mean, yeah. when I first, I first saw his grown son after he died, when they showed the story and showing his son, you know, talking yeah. about it. And uh, so you never heard anything about his wife, his family, nothing, because in interviews, he was always doing a, putting on a show. And right. they tried to keep him sitting still, uh, but he 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 didn't. Probably partially because he was medicated at the time. But again, he cannot be himself because that's what he's running away from. Right. And that was why many of the incredibly talented people, talented people, are like that because they put all of themselves into that uh, to you know well, to avoid. They, yeah, they they have the practice of being other people. Because they put on that mask. So that makes them, yeah. you know, the great imposters of the world. They can yeah. they can fake through anything. So that means they're a great actor. That's right. So, you know, these things are hopefully good learning tools. I mean, they're tragic and, yeah. you know, very affecting. But hopefully they're learning tools. You know, what do you look for? What are the signs? And even something like that is actually a sign. Yeah. We can't go around, you know, worrying about each other all the time, you know, but just being aware and, and good communications uh, mm -hmm. amongst you, your friends, your loved ones is crucial. Absolutely. You were telling me uh, a while back before the show, uh, and this is an interesting uh, angle to this, uh, the the thing about Prince versus Robin Williams and their, their coverage. Um if they were to make a movie about Prince and a movie about Robin Williams, who would they cast right. to play the lead roles in each? That's right. That's right. I mean, to me, Prince is, um, I would say, if I think off the top of my head, he's basically a combination of like Jimi Hendrix, Michael Jackson, and James Brown rolled into one. Yep. Uh, you know, and throw in a little androgyny. Mm -hmm. uh, which I believe probably to be bisexual, but that's another topic. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I think it would be possible. It would be possible to make a biopic on Prince, mm -hmm. but I think it would be impossible to make one on Robin Williams, partially obviously because of the dynamic is different making a, a music movie, because right. you could obviously lip syncing and all that, but you'd have to have some guy on as Robin Williams and even if they're memorized lines genuinely funny it's just it's I, I couldn't see it um, 
Well, and yeah. I will throw this in just as a disclaimer, um, and this is only my opinion that if they do make one on Prince, please don't let it be Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> okay, that's all I have to say. Lenny Kravitz is too tall to be play Prince. <laughs> well, I, he, he really modeled himself after it. I think it probably would be the choice because he modeled his look. And yeah. if you watch him, he does a lot of the same moves. And But I just don't believe he's anywhere near as talented. Saying it gently. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you're right about Robin Williams. I cannot think of any actor who could possibly do that role justice. Uh, I would prefer them to cast an unknown uh, because at least then yeah. you don't have any preconceived notions of the actor playing. But even that would be very difficult to capture that essence. Um, and, and a lot of that, I think, has to do with the fact that he was a very unique performer where he was talking a lot. Uh, he was, you know. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it would be it, it would either have to be someone that is just an incredible impersonator but then that kind of would come off as an impersonation, as a kind of like a mimic. Uh, but with Prince, I think it's a no win. Uh, yeah, no, with Prince, it would be easier because because it's a mu- it's a musician. So you're right. You could you could have someone who looks like him, who's doing a lot of lip syncing, dancing around the stage. Uh, that's a lot easier to do, I think, than than to actually try to act like Robin Williams. So so I can see that Prince being so. Uh, shy and reclusive um, and private actually makes for uh, an easier bi- biopic. True. You know, because we don't, we never heard him talk very much. You know, he was on Oprah that one time and it was very rare though. And a rare interview by Prince, you know. Yep. So uh, it would be kind of, we wouldn't really know how accurate it is in a sense. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I see. So the fact that that's the case supports my thinking of you know why didn't the robin story get you know as much coverage it supports it that it should have in that how incredibly once in a lifetime robin williams was yeah and i agree there both are so then why was there two days of this and an hour of that and, and i think part of it is also uh, the mystery behind prince and his death um versus the fact that it was immediately known that Robin Williams committed suicide. And, Absolutely. And, and yeah. they led with that. And so there's no mystery left, so the media moves on. Well, it shows that it was sensationalism, sensationalism versus um, the opportunity to educate. That was not a, a, in the forefront. Well, it's and the it media, should... and you, you got to expect that. I mean, uh, I believe me, I... I support the media. I think having a free media is very important, but it also leads, you have to take everything with a grain of salt. Um, and Free media in quotes, because it's still about money. And so sure. then, why didn't, then why didn't PBS run a two-day special? Mm-hmm. I mean, nothing. Is yeah. it the, this subconscious underlying um, non-acceptance of suicide, depression, that type of thing? You know, and what happens now if when we find out the actual cause, if we do, um, I mean, I'd rather them just leave it alone and leave it a mystique. Mm. But if it does come out, you know, what happens if it does come out that he was incredibly depressed and it was a suicide in an elevator? Yeah. What will happen then? Who knows? Well, it's hard to say because 
I mean, you got to think that the media likes conflict because it sells. Uh, you know, the, the old adage, if it bleeds, it leads. That's right. And, and that's very true. I mean, when was the last time you put on the news and it's all happy news? It's, it's never happy news. It's all about, you know, war and death and, and all that. I, I'm just, I, I'm just a little confused as to why the coverage of Robin Williams wasn't, uh, as deep because like I was saying, the news does like sensationalism and you would think that, uh, a suicide of a, a beloved comedian would would warrant more coverage uh, because it is, you know, you put suicide in the headline and it's a sensationalized thing. It's a big thing. Uh, but for Robin Williams, I mean, you know, how's his wife dealing with that as a family? And uh, why didn't we see him being himself in interviews? I mean, there's so much to cover, but it doesn't bleed. So it doesn't yeah. lead. Yeah. Your day hit it dead on with that. But I wanted to uh, move on now and find out how you're doing. Well, thank you for asking. Uh, but before we go there, let's do the news. This week in the news, we cover a story by the Psychiatric Times about suicide clusters on college campuses. So in recent years, several high-profile suicide clusters uh, have caused a lot of concern. They, they talk about something called suicide contagion, which is more likely among young people in contained communities. Uh, so suicide contagion is, is essentially copycat suicides. Uh, but let's look at some stats first. Um, okay. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among 18 to 24-year-olds. Uh, the rates of college student suicide are estimated to be between 6.5 and 7.5 suicides per 100,000 students. Wow. But campus clusters start when the first suicide occurs, uh, spurring on others who may be on the edge. Uh, it's essentially validation to them that suicide is a possible solution. At that age, and really up to the age of 25 is where we're relating to others and really finding ourselves. So we're very impressionable. And um, it's really at that age where a lot of people get into trouble. This particular article talks about how the media has a direct effect on impressionable youth. They call this the Werther effect, where there have been notable surges in suicide rates after reports of celebrity suicides. Well, actually, relatedly, uh, I read an article um, about the science behind suicide contagion. And when you mentioned celebrities, I thought of uh, when Marilyn Monroe died uh, in the summer of 1962, uh, with the cause listed as possible suicide, the nation reacted. And in months afterwards, there was extensive news coverage, widespread sorrow, and a, a spat of suicides. And according to one study, the suicide rate in the United States jumped by 12% compared with the same hmm. months in the previous year. It's very interesting. This article lists how the media can affect teenagers in a profound and negative way. Uh, sensationalized news stories uh, contain the following. They have front page placement, large sensational headlines with the word suicide, pictures of the celebrity, detailed descriptions of the act, romanticized or heroic views of suicide, 
descriptions of suicide as a typical normal response to problems, language that portrays suicide as inevitable or unsolvable, and oversimplified cause of suicide. And just as with the Prince story, there's really uh, nothing known yet on the cause of death. So uh, him being such an enigma, there's a real mystique there. Um, and, you know, kids being impressionable will gravitate towards that type of, of story. And it's the unknown. And maybe trying to bring him to uh, a human level. Well, and conversely, we have learned that well-constructed media reports can actually lower the rates of suicide in a community. Uh, and this, this has been termed the Papagino effect. No idea why it's called Papagino effect. It makes me want pizza. I think pizza. he has that Italian place uh, on the corner here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, these stories contain um, or convey that there are positive coping strategies and alternatives to suicide in the face of adversity and refer at-risk individuals to crisis and treatment resources. So unfortunately, uh, that's not as common as the Werther effect. Yeah, and as far as the Werther effect and, and this subject matter, uh, it's important to, to note that mental illness is it's not a communicable disease, mm -hmm. uh, but there is a strong body of evidence that suicide is contagious. Uh, and publicity surrounding a suicide has been repeatedly and definitively linked to a subsequent increase in suicide, especially among young people and people who are that impressionable. And analysis suggests that at least 5% of youth suicides are influenced by contagion. Well, ideally, the best way to prevent suicide clusters on campuses is to do everything possible to prevent the first suicide. Uh, in yeah, the, exactly. Yeah, in the 1990s, the, the Air Force, uh, the U.S. Air Force, developed a suicide prevention model that reduced rates of suicide, homicide, accidental death, and domestic violence uh, among their service members. Uh, it's called the, the JED Foundation and Suicide Prevention Resource Center Framework for Suicide Prevention. I think they need a better name than that. That's a mouthful. <laughs> it is a mouthful. Yeah. Um, but basically, they, they say that uh, they need to enhance connectedness. Uh, they need to identify individuals at risk increase help seeking, uh, provide clinical services, crisis management policies and protocols, and limit access to deadly means. And once they did all that, uh, their suicide rates dropped dramatically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and again, related to celebrity suicides, um, this article had mentioned that, that people kill themselves, you know, as we said, are already vulnerable. Uh, but publicity around another suicide appears to make a difference uh, as they're considering their options. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and evidence suggests that suicide outbreaks, as it were, and clusters uh, are real phenomena. One death can set off others, and there's a particularly strong effect from these celebrity suicides. And actually, Madeline Gould, a professor of epidemiology uh, in psychiatry at Columbia University, um, who studied, uh, who has studied suicide contagion very extensively, uh, mentioned, and her quote was that suicide contagion is real, which is why I'm concerned about it. And 
Coincidentally, the article that I'm referring uh, was written August 13th, 2014, uh, where they go on to say that she's particularly concerned after the high-profile death of the comedian and actor Robin Williams. Oh. Yeah, very similar to Kurt Cobain. Uh, there's a sign um, at Kurt Cobain Memorial Park, which is at Young Street in Aberdeen, Washington, his hometown. And coverage of his death was very closely tied or closely tied to messages about treatment for mental health and suicide prevention. So uh, good comes out of these things. Well, that's a good story. Again, these kids are finding their own identity. Um, some who don't have that uh, sense of themselves really tend to gravitate to these icons, these music uh, visionaries to them. Uh, and really sometimes follow them when they don't have their own sense. So mm -hmm. the article had gone on to talk that you know, suicide prevention advocates uh, develop guidelines for news media coverage of suicide deaths. So, you know, the idea is to avoid emphasizing or, or glamorizing suicide uh, or to make it seem like a simple or inevitable solution for people who are at risk. So uh, res responsible journalism essentially, and good luck with that. <laughs> well, uh, and, and interestingly enough, the, you know, the guidelines have been shown to make a difference, and that's good. Uh, a study in Vienna documented a significant drop in suicide risk when reporters began adhering to recommendations for coverage. Well, that's great, and I, I really hope that that picks up steam and uh, the, the media starts covering it properly. Yeah, there's one thing to be sensationalistic and be a cash cow, but they, you know, the media has a real responsibility. Absolutely. And from a psychological perspective, uh, words are very powerful. Yep. Did you hear what I said? Words are very powerful. <laughs> it's yes. true, though. And, and they have to take some responsibility and understand that, you know, they can cause some real repercussions. And experts um, also say articles should include information about how suicide can be avoided. And one great way there is with uh, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is available 24 hours a day. I'll even mention the number. It's 800-273-8255. That number, once again, is 800-273-8255. Thanks for that. Uh, <laughs> I want to go back to my original question before the news. Doug, how are you doing? Well, let me put it this way. Yes, since I guess uh, for the last month or so, going on a month, uh, I've definitely experienced some relief um, and have noticed a lot of the telltale signs that we've talked about in previous shows um, have come to light. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I, uh, when I remitted in 2013, I literally had a, a 180-degree um, miracle experience. Using that as a reference point, um, I'm probably now, I would say, 90 degrees and that's uh, you know although there's a long way to go that's quite significant um, and furthermore um, at the time I sensed I was feeling a little better um, and again the telltale signs were 
Uh, obviously, the suicidal ideation was not there. I was getting up, going to sleep earlier, getting up earlier, um, and actually getting something, some things accomplished. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yes, it's significant progress. Um, at the same time, there's a long way to go. But it's definitely significant. And a good thing is that when I noticed uh, I was feeling a little bit better, I actually decided to myself, I'm going to stop all medications. I don't even know why. And is it fate? Whatever. But since that time, I have not taken any medication. No uh, clonazepam, no benzodiazepines, no Adderall, nothing. I want it to be just vitamins. I'm taking magnesium supplements, and that's where it ends. So I wanted to know that if I'm feeling better, is it a product of the DBS? So taking out those other variables. Um, So I truly believe the DBS has taken off again. So it shows you, as we've talked about earlier, that for some unknown reason, it could be months, years before it kicks in. Why Mm -hmm. it takes so long, you you would think it's more since it's a constant pulse, uh, it should sort of like, hey, get right into it. If it's pulsing, it should be going. But the brain is, is much more complex than that. Absolutely. I, I would have to also guess that uh, certain external factors could help that along as well. Um, and Well, that's true, but yet nothing uh, really changed externally. Um, although, uh, well, actually, even diet didn't change. When I started to f- feeling better, it's almost natural that... Now I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta ride this. I gotta go, you know, and because I'm fighting, you know, I'm in fight mode. So all of a sudden, all right, I'm eating better, and it's again all or none for me. So all of a sudden, I just, I stopped the medications. I just started taking supplements and, uh, and started eating better. And all right, this is where we jump. And mm-hmm. um, so it's good to know that uh, the DBS is is working again. Uh, and funny enough, or more ironically enough that um, when I remitted in 2013, it was in the month of April. Huh. So, yes, I overanalyze and hyperanalyze everything, but from a clinical perspective, uh, we can definitely deduce that the DBS has started to do its thing. And this week I'm going to the doctor, which is good. I go on Thursday, and it's something for us to discuss and see where we uh, go from there, whether we make further adjustments uh, to the neurotransmitter or not. That's amazing. I'm so yeah, happy to hear that. It's very encouraging. It really is, uh, you know, and I have to be careful not to be, you know, too critical and, and, and overanalyze everything. And as you mentioned, external factors are important. Uh, and actually, this show is, is I think, a key external factor. Uh, and the show is has been very therapeutic for me. And not only that, but it's actually been sort of um, a tangible way to see how it's progressed and how the disease is fluctuating. Right. Uh, you know, and, and obviously being able to talk to you more often, uh, you know, it's very therapeutic. You know, don't forget, I've been, you know, completely alone for so long mm-hmm. uh, with you and I talking every few months and catching up, and but not a regular thing, I feel like. I've got a best friend. I've got a support system, um, you know. And and again, the ten t- the telltale signs. I think what really hit me that I was feeling better was, and it sometimes just comes naturally. Uh, 
that day I, I woke up and instead of saying, oh, crap, I was up earlier. I jumped right into the shower, um, again, trying to, to, to ride this thing and, and propel it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that day I, I just found myself. And again, I, uh, saying I found myself is, uh, again, talking about what we've talked about before, is uh, I tend to not do things like thinking before. It just sort of things happen and I watch them as they happen. Uh, but I found myself, instead of sitting and crying, watching you know some horrible documentary about suicide or drug abuse or some ridiculous thing like that, I, I, I knew I was feeling better when I found myself sitting on the couch watching a comedy special, and I was laughing out loud at the same time while eating a chickpea salad. <laughs> I mean, that's huge. Yeah, it's well... Really- to actually be laughing while eating a chickpea salad, I mean, that's a, that's a trick in itself. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> you know, I found myself much more self-aware and, uh, you know, again, careful not to criticize myself, but, but self-aware. I'm walking with, with more of a strut, with more confidence. Um, you know, not like that frightened child walking the, the perilous hallways of, of high school and, and uh, you know, and being all self-conscious and thinking everyone's staring at you and judging you. Yeah, here I was like, okay, I, I'm I'm pretty cool. I, I got I got my blank together. Yeah. So it's 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 very encouraging, and, and for the people listening who who do suffer, you know, uh, it's another reason to say hey, if 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 it can happen to him, it certainly can happen to to anyone, to any of us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you have treatment-resistant depression. You've been to the point where you felt like you needed brain surgery to get help. And if you can experience uh, positive feelings again and and feel like you're on the upswing, that means there's hope for pretty much everyone. Yeah, and it's really, even listeners who don't suffer from either this a severe uh, case or, or mental illness in general, just for anyone to realize, you know, time is short. You know, you, can, you may not wake up tomorrow morning, so don't put things off and don't take things for granted. You know, I'm just looking to be able to eat a grilled cheese sandwich and really think it's great, even if it's processed cheese. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, that's the point, to appreciate the little things, yeah. not put things off. You know, I noticed I noticed you were on the upswing uh, when recently, when the texts I was receiving from you were pictures of your food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was. I, it's great to receive a text, and I look at it, and it's a plate of chicken wings. I mean, first of all, that made me happy and made me want wings, uh, which I did get actually. <laughs> Well, I, I knew it was in a form that you could relate to. It <laughs> yes. Basically, it would say it all with a picture of chicken wings. <laughs> exactly. That's just that is happiness incarnate, <laughs> isn't it? Though <laughs> it really is. Um, so yes, I, I I have picked up on that, and and even just your regular communications. I mean, I, I was uh, away for a week uh, on vacation, and I would receive you. So we didn't talk as much as normal. And I would receive texts from you, like I said, with either pictures of food or just a joke or uh, just some inside joke or something like that. And it made me realize, 
wow, you're, you're, you've turned a corner here because before you would either, you would either not text me or you would send me some, some cynical thing, something negative, uh, and, and where I could instantly tell your mood, uh, completely different now. And either way, in either case, um, I always crave to share things with you, a loved one, a true loved one, mm-hmm. you know, and I, because, again, I have no socialization when I'm in uh, the severe category. So uh, in that case, I was, you know, with the negative cynical things I was sending, those were really uh, cries for help. Right. Or in this, I just was enjoying chicken wings and I just <laughs> wanted to share it with you. Right. And, and uh, with somebody, but especially you. Mm-hmm. So, again, I have to thank you and give you credit for always being there. And, and, and you know, I was just like, oh, geez, him again. You know, <laughs> you really just were, it made you happy that I was feeling more happy and, or happy in general. So, it, you know, it means more than words can say. Well, it, it means chicken wings, and that's, that's all you need to say. All right. Get <laughs> past the chicken wings. You get I the can't. point. There's I, a big I, point here. I think I'm going to go have some more now. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's something that, uh, you know, it's a real uh, key point for, for any listener who's listening to the show to, uh, who can relate to and to understand it and, and maybe make some adjustments in their lives, realizing again, life is short mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, Mrs. Doubtfire 2 is not going to come out as scheduled. Right. Uh, so, you know, again, take, uh, live day to day, hour to hour. Uh, don't put things off. Do it now. Uh, and appreciate what you got. Absolutely. And speaking of hour to hour, we are coming up on an hour. So uh, I think it's I time that. to. That's, I said it that way. Yes. So that's our show for tonight. Uh, we want to thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Please follow us on Twitter at Unhinged PC and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash unhinged podcast. Also be sure to check out our website. If you haven't done so already, it's at unhingedpodcast.com. We'll see you all next week. Take care.